Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. the 187th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a hard dig across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. Well, you know, Matt, it, it really does feel good to hear you say that because that only means one thing. We're back. And a lot has happened since the last time we left you, so... Um, this might be a two-hour extravaganza just to fill you in on what's happened up until this point. Not really. We probably won't go for two and a half hours, but, you know, that's probably how long it would take if we really, truly wanted to catch you up. I mean, I think it would take two and a half days, not just two and a half hours. Either way, we can't get started without the third amigo in the second city, a man who needs to brush up on his Flemish before his big Euro trip. <laughs> it's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Uh, that's right. I'm on a goodwill mission to bring Iowa football to the good people of Stuttgart, Germany, uh, for my girlfriend's little cousins once removed. Um, we brought some little toys because they're three and four, and they are both getting a Iowa football from me. I mean, you got so, you got to start them young, Josh. You got to start them young. So, yep. Um, in case you didn't notice, and I'm not sure how you didn't, we've been on sabbatical for the last semester. I haven't. We are back in time to kick it off for our fifth season. Guys, season number five. Um, today, Wait, we're going to start with an off-season my math was off. uh, with an off-season recap, and it's just 40 days from today until Miami and Florida kick off the season in Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. Um, and so we are starting to get ourselves ready for the 2019 season. We will obviously get to our conference previews as we push closer to opening weekend. But for now, we're going to start on, unfortunately, a bit of a somber note. Uh, uh, we had a passing in uh, about two weeks ago, uh, just shy of two weeks ago. Uh, college football lost one of its most beloved figures, um, the hefty lefty, the Pillsbury throw boy, Jared Lorenzen. Lorenzen played quarterback for Kentucky from 2000 to 2003. He still has the school records for passing yards, touchdowns, and total offense. He ended up winning a Super Bowl ring with the New York Giants as Eli Manning's backup, but will always be remembered by his time in Lexington and his larger-than-life personality. Coach, is there any particular memory that you have of the big guy that you're going to remember him by? Uh, just one? No. Uh, but, but a lot of them, yes. There, there is a ton of things that, that come to mind when I think of Jared Lorenzen. Um, one of them is every time Kentucky played on CBS, they would do the same little skit where they would put him in a lineman number, lineman jersey, and, and embed him with the starting offensive line. And you couldn't pick him out. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Also, uh, just seeing him, just seeing defenders bounce off of him like they're a little kid playing tackle football in the backyard with dad. You know, it's just crazy. Like I, I especially uh, Tony Gilbert, who played 
more than five years in the NFL, one of the more feared uh, inside linebackers in the SEC at the time, uh, was blitzing and, and just, just had him dead to rights and bounced right off of him. I mean, bounced and landed backwards on his shoulder blades. And I've never seen anything like it. I, I've, I hadn't seen anything up to that point like that. And I haven't seen anything since. And that was like, whoa. And then yeah. seeing him just being so fleet footed, uh, you know, just being surprised that this huge guy can, is so nimble and quick and can run like he did. That was one of the things that always separated him for me from uh, some of the other larger quarterbacks we've seen, whether it's Ben Roethlisberger or Byron Leftwich, was that, you know, he was 6'4", like pushing 300 pounds, but he had some of the most nimble moves and quick feet in the pocket that I can remember. Uh, Josh, though, he was more than just uh, a great quarterback. He was genuinely a great person. He was, and, um, you know, I know you asked Matt, or you asked uh, Coach this question, but uh, I'll answer what was my favorite memory of him. Um, He led Kentucky in a lot of passing stats because while he was there, Kentucky was really bad. They were um, on probation for some things that a previous coach did, Um Hal Mooney was that coach, or Mooney, excuse me. Um, then he was coached, Mummy. Yeah, then a coach by Guy Morris. Uh, so it was four long years for Kentucky. He was the one bright spot. And in 02, uh, they won seven games but still didn't get to go to a bowl. They would have won eight games if it wasn't for one of the most famous finishes in SEC football history, the Bluegrass Miracle with LSU. So uh, – Super talented quarterback. Like you said, Matt, incredibly uh, generous person on and off the field. And for an individual game, um, you know, part of something that gets talked about really every time LSU ever plays Kentucky, they will show highlights of that game. It's one of the most famous games in SEC history. As they should, as they should. And, you know, he's someone who in his post-NFL career played football in a variety of uh, other smaller leagues, whether it was the AF2 League, the Ultimate Indoor Football League, um, the Continental Indoor Football League. And he... You know, uh, he, he's someone that also struggled with his weight at times. Uh, at his at his biggest, he was over 500 pounds, but he had lost a lot of that in um, the last couple of years uh, before his tragic passing. But uh, obviously, you know, he 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 was he was a large man on on the field, but an even larger man off the field. He is one of the the few players who is truly universally beloved not just by Kentucky fans, but I think by anyone who played against Kentucky as well. And you really you don't see that all too often, especially at a school where basketball is obviously king. Jared Lorenzen was as well-known of a person in and around that campus as anyone else in, you know, I hate the term, but Big Blue Nation. Yeah. So, uh, And I think, you know, Matt, you said that so eloquently, I hate putting a button on what you said, but uh, I think it's important to, to know, you know, yes, he w- was very open with his uh, battling his weight. Um, and I think he's a good spokesman for this. And that's hopefully what his life can now represent is 
there's a lot of players that put on a lot of weight in this sport. They try and get it off afterwards. Sometimes they're successful. Sometimes they're not. Um, there was a Penn state player who was very open with his, uh, food addiction, um, mental health battles. And so we're all concerned about player health and safety. And I don't think we oftentimes give, um, you know, eating disorders and football really a connection, but we probably should considering how many like offensive and defensive linemen go off to college weighing 260 and they end their careers weighing 360 plus. And it's like, what, what are we doing for these student athletes? Or you see the opposite. I don't know if you guys just saw when, after Joe Thomas has retired from the NFL, he's lost about a hundred pounds uh, in the, in his one year off um, from the NFL. He's yeah, gone from like about 315, 320 down to about 230. Yeah, and has that been monitored by dietitians, nutritionists, things like that? How did he shed that much? I mean, I, I don't know. Joe's a pretty oh. intelligent guy. I assume that he's yeah. done it probably the right way. But still, you know, you have that amount of weight gain or weight loss in either direction is something that is not inherently healthy for the body. And so obviously the big concern when it comes to injuries in and around uh, football, whether it's college or professional, is concussions. And that's still going to be the main thing. But there are a lot of other long-term injury risks and long-term health problems that arise from playing the sport that we love so much. Yeah, I mean, for every uh, Mark Schlereth, Joe Thomas, Jeff Saturday, who lose half a human when they retire, there's, you know, another handful of guys that do the exact opposite and they double, sometimes triple their weight. Um, They just live so unhealthy uh, because, you know, they get used to consuming 10 to 15,000 calories a day and when they stop playing, they still consume ten to 15,000 calories a day, and they're not burning it off. So naturally that weight's going to stick on there, and it's going to stick on there pretty quick. So, um, you know, it's just, you know, there's got to be something for these guys, you know, to 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 help. And, you know, sometimes you, you can't save them all, obviously. But, um, you know, you would just like to see more, like, player-developed type stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The good news, Coach, is we know that the NCAA and the NFL always have the interests of their uh, – no, they don't. Sorry. <laughs> um, You're exactly – oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. That. All right. Well, let's move on then to our off-season topic number one, and that is transfers. Guys, obviously with the new transfer portal – we are seeing more and more players on the move from school to school and more and more players who are immediately eligible to play and don't have to sit out a year. So we can talk about the macro in in terms of transfers here in a little bit, but I want to talk about the micro and I want to talk about some of the biggest names that have gone on the transfer market. Uh, Arguably the biggest of these is Justin Fields who went coach from your beloved dogs uh, up to Columbus, Ohio, and looks like he will be the starting quarterback for the Buckeyes this coming year. Uh, Coach, is this a bigger gain for the Buckeyes or a bigger loss for the Dogs? Uh, to be honest, uh, that remains to be seen. Um, you know, if you'd asked me back in January when it happened, uh, I would have said that it would have been, uh, you know, dumb to just go ahead and 
crown him your starter, but I mean, it, it'd be naive of me to say that he's not talented. I mean, the, the kid can throw. He, we saw that against UMass. Uh, the kid is super talented, but um, to be fair, you know, Coach, uh, I, I think you and I can throw against UMass. That's true. Um, but, uh, it, you know, I, I don't know what kind of impact he's going to make because we just don't know what he can do at the college game. I mean, you would see him oftentimes where it looked like he just come in and, and run the ball and that's it. But there was some design pass plays called for him and his first read wasn't open, so he'd pull it down and run. So that kind of makes me think that, you know, is the game slow enough for him to, to succeed at, at, at that kind of level? I don't know. We'll find out. Hopefully, you know, for his sake, it will. Um, but Ryan Day is taking a huge risk putting all his eggs in that basket. So um, will it pay off? I, I don't know. But but Justin Fields has got some some good raw natural ability. Well, I mean, there, there's a reason he was the number one prospect in the country coming out of high school. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- they're – you know he's got a laser arm. He can run. He's not he's not a run first quarterback, but he's he's athletic enough to to be dangerous with his feet. Um, you know, don't get me started on how he was mismanaged. Um, I, I thought he should have played in four games, like legitimately, and then then took a red shirt uh, if if you didn't plan on if he didn't beat out Jake Fromm, which which was ultimately the case. But um, you know, I, I think Ohio State. Uh, yeah, I don't know what they would have had in Tate Martell. Well, uh, so that was going to be my next question. Uh, is, is he an upgrade over Tate Martell, who also coming out of high school um, a year before Fields uh, came out as one of the top quarterbacks in the country as well? Fields, obviously, a bigger guy. He's got about four inches and 25 pounds on him. But Martell. Physically, yes. But Mar- Martell kind of has that moxie, that same kind of moxie that Baker Mayfield has love oh, yeah. him, he has, him. He has the same he has definitely has that same mindset whatever you think about Tate Martell the guy just wins I mean uh he did so at Bishop Gorman but they play a national schedule and, and I think he's the only one to to go undefeated like two years in a row or something like that I forget exactly what the stat was but I mean that kid is just there's an it factor about Tate Martell that that very few quarterbacks have so um, we'll see what he can do for Miami. Um, see if he can actually be an upgrade down. Well, he'll definitely be an upgrade down there in Miami, but we'll see if Justin Fields, how much of an upgrade or how much of not an upgrade he is from Tate Martell. We'll see. Yeah. Well, Miami fans are getting excited from the Canes warning blog uh, headline recruiting Godfather expects Tate Martell as good as Ken Dorsey. Ooh. Oh. Well, I mean, Ohio State really has all their eggs in the Justin Fields basket. Between Dwayne Haskins going pro, Tate Martell leaving the program, and his number and the other backup, Matthew Baldwin, who was a high school four star, uh, leaving for TCU. They've, you know, it is it is Justin Fields or bust um, for them. And so, yeah, but it's Ohio State. They're going to surround him with four and five star kids, uh, as long as he's not an interception machine and gets it even in the zip code of the talent they have around him. He'll be fine. I, I would certainly hope so. Um, another school that is has been no stranger to uh, transfer quarterbacks of late is the Oklahoma Sooners. They lost one in Austin Kendall, who left for West Virginia, but they gained one in Jalen Hurts, who comes over from Alabama after having a oh, pretty impressive resume uh, on his end, a couple national titles, 
and uh, you know one of the best win loss records in the history of collegiate football. So, Josh, do you think Jalen Hurts can make it three straight Heisman winners for the Sooners? Um, that's a pretty tall order, but I'll dial it back at least and say that Oklahoma's going to have a third straight year of a really freaking good quarterback. And that's because I don't want to say that it's a system quarterback, but Oklahoma runs a system that puts talented athletes in a position for success. And yeah, Jalen Hurts was known for being more of a runner and people weren't entirely sure about his arm and stuff like that, but dude was over 60% completion rate all three years he was at Alabama. That's including the abbreviated one in 2018. He has way, way, way more interceptions that or touchdowns, excuse me, than interceptions. Um, he's a pretty good quarterback that's going to be playing in a system that makes any quarterback uh, have a plethora of options. And as you can tell, I'm trying to not say that it's the Oklahoma system because Baker Mayfield is really freaking good, um, as is the former athletics baseball player. He's also pretty damn good. Yeah, Kyler Murray not half bad himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, any anything that, you know, produces two first overall picks – you know, you, you've got to put some of that on the actual quarterback. I mean, it, it takes something for those quarterbacks to get all above that hump. You know, it, it's not your uh, former Texas Tech like B.J. Simmons, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, those type quarterbacks who kicked around uh, as third stringers in the, in the NFL for a few years and, and, and washed out because they're accurate, they can make reads. But, you know, Jalen Hurts has a dynamic arm. He can he can make things happen with his legs. Kyler Murray uh, was just a stellar athlete that has a dynamic arm, considering he was a first rounder in both the ma- uh, Major League Baseball and the NFL. Uh, Baker Mayfield um, might be one of the best quarterbacks to ever come through Oklahoma. So, I mean, a lot of that has to do with what, what Lincoln Riley's put together, but a lot of it also has to do with the quarterback on the other end of it uh, digesting and buying in and and really just uh, playing to their talent level. So, uh, it, you know, third straight Heisman, you know, I think that'd be cool, um, truthfully, even even though uh, as a university and as a program, I you know, wish Lincoln Riley was anywhere except Oklahoma personally. But Would uh, you rather have him at Alabama? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Would you rather have him at Iowa? Yes, I would love if he was at Iowa. Um, I wouldn't even mind if he was at Iowa. I would be. I would be. A, I would definitely be a, a more of a Hawkeyes fan than I am now. Josh, the only reason I'm a, uh, the only reason I'm a shred of a Hawkeyes fan is because of you. Uh, if oh, yeah. I'm being honest, I, I don't. I don't dislike Iowa. I just. I was just very indifferent towards them. There you go. Uh, for, for Oklahoma, I was racking my brain trying to come up with a comparison, and. You know, Florida doesn't really work because Spurrier's fun and gun produce a lot of good college players, and then they didn't necessarily do anything in the NFL. Danny uh, Warfels has high. Uh, USC. Shane Matthews. Uh, USC. I think it's safe to say that the uh, you know the era of 
Mr. Butt Fumble, uh, Mr. Glass Knees, things like that. You know, my feeling on Carson Palmer. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they produced anyone. So I have to go kind of in a way back machine, but it's reminiscent of some of the talent BYU produced. Um, in the that's, that's the root of the system. I don't yeah, know if you know that. Uh, yeah, the uh, Lincoln Lincoln Riley is a disciple of Mike Leach, who is a disciple of a bunch of different things, but he he's he's heavily rooted in the Lavelle Edwards BYU yeah system. So it, so it has merit. Yeah. So some of our older or younger listeners, if they don't remember, because this is a dated reference, but uh, some of the quarterbacks they had in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. Um, Steve Young. Yeah, they had Steve Young. They had Jim McMahon, who um, was great in the NFL, but a very injury-shortened career. Um, also produced party animal. Yeah. Uh, also produced Ty Detmer, who was phenomenal, um, won the Heisman, um, or at least was a finalist. But, yeah, they had a run of quarterbacks where the system put them in an advantageous situation. But – Steve Young on like any college football team would have succeeded. So it's a symbiotic relationship where Oklahoma has a system that sets you up to succeed. And then if you have the talent that Jalen Hurts has, you can rack up a lot of numbers. And if he stays healthy, I expect him to rack up plenty of numbers. Well, the thing, the thing I really like about uh, Lincoln Riley is, you know, he's, his intelligence level is off the charts. I mean, his feel for the game, you know, and, and as it comes to him, it is is off the charts. I mean, I think that goes into it a, a lot because you know you have you have guys that are just um, you know you mix talent like that uh, with with a system and an intuitive uh, play caller like Lincoln Riley. There's a reason that they light the world on fire every single year and they do it with a new quarterback every single year. And and they don't have, I mean, they don't have these all world, uh, all American running backs either, but they have enough of a running game to keep them honest. So, um, you know, some of these extremely talented quarterbacks get stuck in these, you know, mediocre to bad systems. And it's, it's really kind of hard to gauge, to be honest with you, how much of it's quarterback and how much of it's a system, but you know, it, it does go hand in hand. And that's one of the things I've really um, enjoyed about watching uh, Oklahoma is just kind of the way the game unfolds uh, for them and the way they kind of, uh, the way Lincoln Riley just, again, has, just has a natural feel of what's going on and, and kind of can almost, tell the defense what they're doing before they do it. And there's not a whole lot of coordinators out there, not a whole lot of coaches out there that have that ability, but he, he's certainly one of them. Well, yeah. talking about systems that uh, don't get talented quarterbacks and don't put their quarterbacks in a good situation. Matt, I know you're dying to tell us about Alex Hornerbrook. Alex Hornerbrook has left Madison for Tallahassee. I, I, I am get richer. Oh, wait. Well, yes. Uh, this is a classic case of addition by subtraction. Um, I For Florida I, I, State? I, I packed it. I personally packed his, his dorm room up, drove him to not the Madison Airport, but the Milwaukee Airport so he could get a direct flight down there, and uh, said, Arrivederci. Um, 
And he, it looks like he will be stepping in for the Knowles because DeAndre Francois has transferred from Florida State to FAU. Huh? Um, <laughs> he was he was tired of getting he was tired of dying every Saturday. So I don't blame him. I I would have transferred anywhere to get away from that offensive line. Good yeah. Luck. So it, it really makes sense for Florida State to bring in a quarterback who might have the the, the slowest feet um, since oh I don't know. Tom Brady's combine performance. I mean, it, Alex Hornerbrook is the least mobile quarterback I have ever seen. He is going to get absolutely pulverized this year. It's whenever Clemson plays Florida State, it is going to be. Uh, I, I, he will be sacked. Uh, I, I'm going with a baker's dozen. He's going to get sacked 13 times in this game. It's going to be an absolute joke, and I will be laughing all the way. Not that I want him to get hurt, but just because the Badgers are so much better off without him. Um, but speaking of Clemson, though. Matt, you really, you really, in season five, you really need to work on just coming out of your shell and being honest and tell us, telling us how you really feel. Yeah, I know. That, that's your goal that I have set for you here in season okay. five. Okay, I'm, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to work on it. While we're setting goals for you, Matt, I think most of our listeners know that I'm an Iowa fan, coach is a Georgia fan. Can't tell you the number of times we've heard, you know, who does the professor root for? We're not sure. They, they think you don't have a team, Matt. So okay, well, I'll I'll I'll, I'll do my best to, uh, you know, Pro- really professor root. roots for the American. I do root <laughs> for the American. I root for the American Conference. Who is going to be? Uh, they they have a they they don't have just a quarterback transferring out of the American. They have an entire team transferring out of the American. <laughs> Oh, we're gonna get hey, to that. Hey, well, we, didn't, we didn't talk about Kelly Bryant. Well, I was, um, I, I was about to say we're about to. I was just going to say mentioning Clemson. Kelly Bryant, former uh, former starting quarterback of the Clemson Tigers, uh, got Wally pipped by Trevor Lawrence, and that's not, that's not a bad person to get Wally pipped by, I guess. Yeah, he's, no, he's a once in a generational quarterback. Yeah, he <laughs> he is. Uh, by he got Wally pipped by football Jesus, um, and he is off to Mizzou. And he is going to uh, – he will be obviously stepping in. It looks like he will be starting immediately, Coach. Is that an upgrade? Well, I don't think it's going to be an upgrade for Mizzou necessarily because they had a pretty darn good signal caller who just went off the NFL. It's going to be an upgrade in a different way. Um, it, it's a more dynamic, uh, two-dimensional upgrade. Drew, Drew Locke was a pure passer. Um, could escape if he really needed to, but that – you know, he, he had – you know, no interest in doing that. Kelly Bryant likes to run. He's not necessarily a run first quarterback, but he likes to run. He's really good in the run game. Um, he's really good in RPOs. He's, I mean, he just, he's a really good spread quarterback and, and he's, he's more of a, he's more of a dual threat than, than Drew Locke was. So in a different way, yes, it's an upgrade, but in, in senses of the quarterback position, it, it's just a reload to be honest with you. But uh, what what baffles me about or what makes me uh, think this decision uh, is just terrible luck for Kelly Bryant. You know, he found a system that he really likes. He found a situation that he really likes, and then, boom, they get put on probation for a year. So, um, yeah, that sucks. But uh, I don't, you know, at the time, he didn't know that was happening. So, um, yeah, it's just terrible luck on his part. Coach, I like that you brought up the RPO, though, because uh, Missouri is welcoming back Larry Roundtree, the third thousand yard back last year. That'll be a nice tandem in the backfield. Yes, it will be. Um, it absolutely will be. So, and this is a make or break year for for Barry Odom. And and I, I know we like to 
talk about coaches on the hot seat. And in the SEC, I really don't think, except for Barry Odom, I really don't think anybody's truly on the hot seat. I mean, you could say Matt Luke, but, you know, we said that last year. He's pretty comfortable because he's an Ole Miss guy and they seem to like him somehow. I don't, not sure. I don't feel like he's on the hot seat, but then again, he could get, he could be the first one to go. Uh, but the one I feel like is truly his seat is the warmest is, uh, is Barry Odom. So um, it, it's good in, in for his sake that he got a quarterback, a caliber of Kelly Bryant. Maybe that'll help his recruiting. Maybe they can get past this one year ban, recruit well, and, and, and be well, ready to go. I mean, on top year. of that, they're going to have, after Kelly Bryant, you know, he's got one year of eligibility left. But even after that, they've got a, a pretty good guy who also transferred in this year in Sean Robinson, who comes over from TCU. He's going to have to sit out a year, but he'll have, I believe, two years of eligibility after that. So they should be set up at the quarterback session for a couple of years to come now. Which is good. I mean, I think Missouri's starting to become a destination spot for quarterbacks, which, you know, it brings parity in the SEC. You know, I, you know, I always hope Georgia dominates the league every single year, but it's always good to see that there's parity um, and the East is back on the rise and they're not going to be the freaking bottom dwellers that they have been for the last six years. But No, and on um, top of that, I mean, um, the St. Louis the St. Louis area and the Kansas City area both have, uh, have been producing more and more, you know, good high school quali- high school players of, of late, and they're keeping more of those guys in state. And so it would not surprise me at all should. if we start to see Mizzou, you know, the, I would say that they've been for the last decade or so probably, you know, they are a fringe top 25 team every year with maybe a couple seasons where they're, they have in the top 15, top 10. But they they should be a perennial top twenty top fifteen. There's no there's no reason they shouldn't dominate that area um, with kids being in, in the the richest conference in the league. You, you you just had your star quarterback. You know, you had a terrible season, and he still went early second round. Um, and it just it's a great situation to be honest with you. Um, and, and there's no reason they shouldn't clean up the Kansas City area, the uh, St. Louis, and, you know, the enti- really the entire state of Missouri. There shouldn't, you know, it should be Mizzou, and then everybody else can get the leftovers. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of the way it should be. Um, it, it's not quite that way yet, but if they have a successful season, even though they don't, even though they can't do any postseason play, they can still put a good product out there. They're, they're making upgrades to their stadium, which was under construction all of last year. I don't know if they finished or not, but um, they do have a significant upgrade in their stadium, which is nice. Um, they're kind of getting with the, we got to get some facilities um, so we can actually be a part of this conference type situation. So, you know, good for Kelly Bryant. He's going to look good in black and gold. You know, definitely, definitely. Uh, Coach, I just want—I just wanted to ask Coach a follow-up question to something he said. He highlighted Odom. Uh, false. Oh, <laughs> you, you highlighted Odom as having the hottest seat in the SEC. Uh, I just wanted to take the temperature. Gus Malzahn, Will Muschamp. Uh, I'll give you Muschamp. I still think I think Malzahn's buyout's still too large. So, okay. Um, they always say his seat's hot and nothing ever happens. So I'll believe it when I see it. To be honest, it's almost like their in-state rivals really successful. I know, go figure, right? <laughs> 
All right, a couple other names uh, that have gone out uh, and, and transferred. Uh, former Notre Dame signal caller Brandon Wimbush is off to Orlando to play at Central Florida. Great, he will be great destination for him. Uh, he will be immediately eligible. Um, we've got Shane Bouchelle, former Texas quarterback, uh, is headed – uh, is headed to SMU. Josh Jackson, who had an amazing freshman season at Virginia Tech, stumbled as a sophomore, is now headed to Maryland. I mentioned DeAndre Francois earlier. Uh, Jack Tuttle, who was a four-star out of high school, who went to Utah, is now headed to Indiana. Riley Neal uh, heads from Ball State to Vanderbilt, um, and he should be uh, – he might be able to push for some playing time. Uh Nick Starkle heads from Texas A&M to Arkansas uh, to fill the void uh, left by Cole Kelly, who left for Southeastern Louisiana State. Um, Upgrade. Yeah. So, uh, Coach, any of these any of these names? I heard you say Brandon Wimbush. You like that one. Any of the other ones stick out to you? Um, well, uh, one that we talked about earlier, um, Austin Kendall going to West Virginia. I, I really like that one. I think you'll think you'll fit great with Dana Holgerson. Um, I really, really liked um, what was one I said. Wimbush. Him, so yeah, Wimbush was was really good. I think that's a good situation for him. I think he'll he'll fit in quite nicely there. I, I like the Riley Neal kid coming to uh, to Vanderbilt. Um, I like. Uh, Indiana getting Jack Tuttle, although I don't understand that decision. Doesn't quite make sense to me, but um, I, I do like that for the Hoosiers. I think that's a significant upgrade uh, for them. Uh, oh, one other under the radar one: Tommy Stevens leaves Penn State from Mississippi State uh, following uh, his old coach. Ooh, uh, yeah, I yeah. think he could do some that's, really big things in Stark Vegas. Yes. Yes, they they had that relationship, and he knows the system. That's mm-hmm. that's gonna be dangerous. Yeah, and yeah, I a, I believe that uh, that Mr. Stevens is immediately eligible. Mm. Um, um, he is. Um, yeah, he is immediately eligible. So he should be. Um, he should be someone who will be pushing for playing time this year. Uh, Josh, anyone else? Uh, anyone else of note for you? Well, I'm just going to go full Homer and talk about some Iowa stuff. <laughs> Do it. Uh, yeah, first of all, grad transfer they got. Uh, Michael Sleep Dalton, a punter. That's the only grad transfer that they got uh, coming from Arizona State. Uh, the last two years, Iowa has really struggled in the punting game. Um, hate to throw a kid on the bus, but Colton Rastet, or, uh last year had a 38.9% average on punts. A percentage? I didn't know you could get a percentage. Of no, an average uh, per punt. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Yeah. You, said per, um, you, you said percent. Oh, so. no, whatever. Yeah, we've been off for a year. I struggle it. Uh, that was an improvement on going 37.8 yards per punt in 2017. So uh, trying to get someone who can average over 40 yards would be nice. Uh, so that's intriguing. And then uh, for just regular transfers, not grad transfers, the one that has Iowa fans all super duper excited. Uh, hometown kid, Iowa City kid, Oliver Martin uh, went to Michigan. He was a four star kid, um, left to play at a bigger program. Kind of got. He is an amazing athlete, by the yeah, way. It is an got- absolutely stud of an athlete. Yeah, kid kind of got buried on the depth chart. Maybe he was a little homesick. It was a factor of things. Um, he's transferring back to Iowa. Uh, 
I'm super duper excited to have him. Uh, I'm going to say that 98% of the fan base has my sentiments. Uh, there's 2% that's really active on the blogs who are saying, oh, we don't want him if he didn't want to come here the first time. Why do we want him now? Uh, that's a idiotic mentality to have over a 18-year-old kid. But uh, well, I believe, did he go to West High, Josh? He did, so my alma mater. So uh, those are two transfers that I'm super excited about, obviously. Oliver Martin, per NCAA rules, not going to be suiting up this fall, but down the line. I was hoping he would come to Wisconsin. His final three in, in, uh, when he was choosing colleges originally were Iowa, Wisconsin, and Michigan. He ended up choosing the Wolverines, and now he's back to the Hawkeyes. Maybe he'll go to the Badgers next. Who knows? <laughs> um, a couple other guys that I want to point out before we get to our pop quiz. Lawrence uh, Cager, wide receiver uh, from Miami, mm-hmm. uh, transferred to the Dogs. Well, I was going to say the Dogs lost tight end Luke Ford. He's headed to Illinois. Yeah, he's got a sick grandfather. He's from Illinois, so um, he's going back to be with family. And out of all the ridiculous waivers, his got denied. So Yes, I saw uh, that, which is that is uh, the idiocy of the NCAA. Uh, yeah, that's couple, I got a other, few words for that. That's not safe for work. Uh, a couple other uh, a couple other receivers. Brew McCoy, uh five star kid out of high school. He just uh he graduated early. So he he is a true freshman this coming year. He has already enrolled at USC, transferred to Texas, and now transferred back to USC. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know what else to say except that that is absurd. Um, Nate, I think he's. I think he transferred four more times after that. Yeah, Nate. Nate Craig Myers, a really talented wide receiver, was at Auburn. Now is heading to Colorado State, um, where he should be able to absolutely put up some huge numbers. We've seen some receivers at Colorado State put up big numbers over the past few years. He should be the next in line to put up some really, really big numbers. And for you Commodore fans out there, Justice Shelton Mosley, a name you might not know, but this kid led the Ivy League in receiving last year at Harvard, now headed to Vanderbilt. Uh, You don't see a lot of guys transferring to Vanderbilt to take a step down in education. No, you don't. Um, You know, the kid obviously just wants to play big league football, so, you know, and he figured a Vanderbilt degree wasn't horrible, so... Why not, right? Um, one of the uh, one of the things that is absolutely well, I don't want to say outstanding, but it's just like you have to like scratch your head about is the uh, mass exodus or seeming seemingly mass exodus out of University of Florida. They've had mm-hmm. they've lost so many commits. They've lost you know they've they've like I think they've lost double digit commits, um, and I think four or five. People have transferred. A lot of DBs um, have transferred. So um, you got to be thinking. There's some. There's some stuff going on. There's some guys that are uh, facing some suspensions down there. So uh, we'll see. Uh, the details will come out um, later. I just heard about this today. So um, some some weird stuff going on in Florida. Um, me being a Georgia fan, you know, I, I kind of get a kick out of it. But and glad it's not happening in Athens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So with that, it is time for us to hit our pop quiz. Gentlemen, there are 16 coaches, 16, Mm. that have won at least three national titles. Three national titles since the inception of college football. 
gentlemen, your job. Dabo just just outside this list. Just a bit outside. Um, so Mark Richt is your job is to name <laughs> these. Uh, your job is to name these sixteen coaches. Um, coach, since you are the coach, you get to go first. Name name a coach that has won three or more titles. Some guy named Saban, Nick Saban. Uh, you have to say, is Nick, he talking about Nick or Lou? Uh, <laughs> Nick. Is he uh, one of them? Yep. He, uh, he has for a bonus. How many has he won? He has won six. That is correct. Five at Alabama, one, one at LSU. That is correct. All right. Josh. Well, I'll make it really simple. Same school, same number of titles, way cooler hat, Bear Bryant. You know it. All, six titles, all at Alabama. All right, Coach. <laughs> How about that? Um, crap, that's all I have. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, well, Bear Bryant was winning all the titles in the uh, back in the day. Um, Bowden only won two. Uh, Lou Holtz, I think, only won two. Yeah, but he slobbered on a lot more trophies than that. That that is that is the truth. That is that is the truth. Um, I'm going to go with Tom Osborne. Tom Osborne is correct. He won three in the span of four years at Nebraska in the 1990s: 94, 95, and 97. Nice, nice. Uh, well, the next one that I jotted down pre-show when you showed us the question, Matthew. Uh, won a bunch of titles. I believe he had four, but he might have had five. Uh, but he ended his career with one hilarious punch, Mr. Woodrow Hayes of the Ohio State University. Yes, uh, five titles um, at the Ohio State University. 54, 57, 61, 68, and 70. And ended it with a punch, I believe, against Clemson? It was to a Clemson kid, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> in some very minor bowl game that I do not believe exists anymore. Um, so Tangerine uh, Bowl or something. I don't yeah. Know. Coach, you are up next. Uh, Barry Switzer. Ooh, Barry nice. Switzer is correct. Three he titles. also won a Super Bowl. Yep. Three titles and a Super Bowl. Oklahoma, 74, 75, and 85. Yes. And 95 for the Super Bowl. That's correct. Dallas Cowboys. There you go. Uh, Staying in the Big Ten. And, in fact, staying in Columbus. Two at Florida. One at Ohio State. Urban Meyer. Yep, that's correct. Oh, that guy. (laughs) Six and 08 and 14. All right. Coach. All right. Okay. Um, so it's not Mark Rick. Okay. I got it. Um, <laughs> it is not Bert Bielema. Mm. No, no. Uh, so, so many great choices here. Um, I'm going to go really old school. Do we, do we have like a, a, a date? No, we don't have a date limit. Okay. Um, no date limit. Well, listen to how old school this, this stab in the dark should go. John Heisman. Oh, John Heisman. Good guess, but sorry, did not make the cut. John Heisman did not make the cut. Um, That is your first strike, Coach. Um, Bound to get one. 
Uh, Heisman won two national titles at Georgia Tech back-to-back in 1916 and 1917. When Coach was saying he was going way back, I thought he was taking the next one on my list. But I'm pretty sure, did they win one for the Gipper? Was that Newt Rockney? Doesn't he have three or four? Newt Rockney is correct. He has three at uh, Cheer, Cheer for Old Notre Dame, 1924, 1929, and 1930. Ooh. Speaking of Notre Dame, um, Era Parsegian? Era Parsegian. Not a bad guess, um, but not correct, unfortunately. Um hmm. Era has uh, Era has two national titles in '64 and '66. Hmm. I've but, been killing the list of uh, pairs. So, Coach, that is your second strike. That means there's a Notre Dame coach, but um, I'm having a brain fart on his name. <laughs> uh, I think it was probably the guy there that, that was there like in the '40s or '50s. And just, that is correct. I can't uh, remember his name, so would, hopefully, Coach, you can get it. Um, no. <laughs> Um, you said Barry Switzer. There was a second Oklahoma coach that I was also jotting down on my list. Uh, I think they still have the longest winning streak, right, in college football, the highest level? They do. Uh, and that was Wilkerson, Wilkerson, right? Bud, Bud Wilkerson. Bud Wilkinson, that is correct. Yeah. Bud was won. Early 50s? Uh, 1950, 55, and 56, and he had the undefeated streak from, I believe, 54 to 57. Here we go. Good guess. Has North Dakota State passed that? Or do they uh, have enough losses sprinkled in all their... I, 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 I believe they have enough losses. But um, I I think, though, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to go back and uh, and double-check this. Uh, I believe there's a Division three team, though, that may have surpassed that. Ooh. Um. It's that team that, that uh, they have purple uniforms. I think they're in Michigan. I'm blanking on their name right now. Nice. Um, but I will, I will go back and double-check that. Coach, you are up. Okay. Um, I'm at the shot-in-the-dark phase here. Hit it. You got two uh, strikes, so you got to be swinging for the fences now. Uh, DKR. Daryl K. Royal. That is correct. Three titles at Texas in 1963, 69, and 70. Ooh. There we go. Sweet. There we go. DKR, almost as good as DDK, right, Josh? Yeah. And almost as good as uh, DDT, <laughs> which, is a move I want to per- which is a move I want to do on some of my students when they, act- when they shack the fool. Well, when they, when they shack the fool, what does it seem to bring DDK in to show them how it's done out uh, on Hawaii Five O? That's true. Josh? All right. Well... I'm getting, I've got a few names that I'm kind of unsure about. And the one that I play the most confidence in, despite being unsure about it, is I know they won a bunch of titles in the 80s, but they had like three coaches that were spread across them. But I'm going to, I'm going to take a stab with Jimmy Johnson at Miami. Sorry. uh, He's only got two titles total and one's at Miami and one's with the Cowboys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jimmy Johnson actually has one official title and that's 87. Um, He has, they, uh, yeah, they have, yeah, just 87 is the only one he won at Miami. Uh, Is it going to ruin the game if you tell us Erickson or 
Schnellenberger? Uh, neither of those guys. Um, no, Schnellenberger has one, and Dennis oh. Erickson has Erickson, two. Erickson has two. Schnellenberger has one. That's correct. Mm. Okay. And then Larry Coker had the other one. Mm-hmm. Well done. Uh, I think Butch Davis might have had a little bit more to do with Larry Coker's. Yeah, he should get a ring, really. Yeah. Um, Coach? Uh, uh, I have no idea. I don't even know who to guess at this point. <laughs> Bobby Dodd. Bobby Dodd. <laughs> I, Here we go. That is the name I was not expecting to hear. Um, <laughs> I, I'll give you that much. Bobby Dodd has uh, has shares of three national titles, but no official t- national titles. They may claim 52, but... Um, <laughs> Michigan State is, is is the real champion that year. So, sorry, Coach, that is strike three. Josh, off the top of your head, anyone else? Uh, I jotted down a bunch of Big Ten people. Um, uh, Fielding Yost, I don't uh, know if any of his count. Um, Fielding Yost, uh, no, none of his count. Okay. Even, uh, though, he, even though he had – he you, you could give him credit for about seven, but none of those actually properly count. Okay. Um, there was a really, really good coach, probably same situation then, um, but at Illinois, Robert Zupke. Same, same situation, yeah. Okay. A um, little bit more recent than another Big Ten coach, Minnesota's legend, Bernie Bierman. Bernie, Bernie Bierman has five, yes. That, is, that was the biggest number you guys missed. Bernie Bierman has yeah. five titles um, uh, at Minnesota, 34, 35, 36, 40, and 41. There's one other coach who has five titles as well. Does Irk Russell count, or is he 1AA? 1AA. Um, yeah, the, the Michigan State era um, was split between coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Paterno, I don't think, ever got there. Nope. Um, so that exhausted my Big Ten list. And then there was um, – the same as the Notre Dame situation, the coach at USC who was there in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, John McKay. I, I can't place his name. John but. McKay won four titles, 62, 67, 72, and 74. Another USC coach, Howard Jones, won five titles, one at Yale, four at USC. Uh, he coached at Iowa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he coached uh, two undefeated teams at Iowa. Uh, a couple other time. ones that uh, uh, we also have, according to this list, which comes from Newsday. Walter Camp had three titles at Yale. Oh, uh, that guy. Old school. Uh, Pop Warner, two titles. Oh, at, that guy. Old school. Two titles at Pitt and one at Stanford. Um, and the Notre Dame coach you guys were missing, Frank Leahy. Frank Leahy, there we go. Frank oh, Leahy in the 40s, 43, 46, 47, and 49. I think he has a gate named after him. At Notre Dame Stadium, He's something like that named after him. Something, yeah. It's so, like the, the student, the, like the football center, the Frank well, Lady football center. Or well like done, the, guys. You got you got it's got eleven out of sixteen. I will. That's not bad. You know, I'm sure there's some Notre Dame fans like hollering that we didn't place Frank Leahy. There's some like at USC fans hollering, but like, you know, come on, that's like, like West Coast, well before our time. Yeah, and like I don't know about you, Coach, but generally Matt shows me the the question, the pre-show email. I take like five to ten minutes and just jot down like ten to fifteen names. Yeah, a couple other names I think people might get upset about. Uh, Robert Nayland uh, at Tennessee. Um, he officially officially only has one. They claim uh, they they claim four titles though with him. 
Um, but by, by the record books, he actually only has one. So, uh, so this pop quiz should teach everyone a lesson. Don't trust Georgia tech because they will let you down in every way possible. Yeah. So will Tennessee. So, um, but you know, no surprise there. Um, Anyhow, um, let's get back to the show. Uh, we mentioned transfer quarterbacks. Let's talk about a transfer school, Josh. Uh, UConn is transferring out of the American Athletic Association. Ooh. Good riddance. Um, you know, they're heading to the Big East in all of their Olympic sports, but that leaves football in limbo. And, mm-hmm. uh, Josh, it looks like they're going to have to be an independent. They play football there? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, they're going to be independent for the time being. I think they're at a real crossroads because the Mac isn't going to want them. And that's a pretty big step down, I think also for kind of their feelings. And I don't think the Mac's going to extend an invite. Uh, They were terrible in the big East. Yeah. The Mac has already said said they will not take them football only. The American is not going to take them football only. Yeah. And let's be honest, they were terrible in the, Conference USA has even said they will not take them football only. Yeah, they were t- well. They don't fit geographically with Conference USA at all. So um, I don't. I don't blame them. So they're they're in no man's land. Um, I really think. I mean, they really only have one option: then go independent. Yeah. Like, I mean, well, like- well I was going to say the option I think they should do, and I don't think they're going to want to hear it because there's not as much money involved in it. But geographically, they fit insanely well with the colonial athletic association Mm -hmm. and the colonial is either the second or maybe third best at worst conference in fcs yeah if we assume the missouri valley is the best yeah uh, then we're talking about the colonial and what the big sky maybe yeah maybe yes so Uh, the southern conference has got to be up there Southern Southern conference is up there yeah but but the colonial is incredible it's got james madison the team that recently won a title not in the North Dakota State division. Um, they have numerous teams make the playoffs every year. Um, they would be in there with Villanova, a fellow Big East basketball school. Um, and I know it, you know, yeah, it sucks. You're going to lose out on money, but Basketball I, I, think it, I, I think if you, but I think if they, you break down the budget, which makes more money going, you know, 10 and two in FCS and making the playoffs and getting one or two games thrown on TV or going one and 11 as an independent, never making a bowl and no one ever watching you. Well, like, so the, the thing is that the TV contract as part of the American conference is where the bulk of their money is going to come from. And you are not going to get the same TV contract. Um, that you would otherwise. And so that is their... Well, what's the TV money from the Big East basketball? Oh, I'm sure I'm sure it's, it's way bigger. And on top of that, um, as an independent, I don't know what kind of TV they can get. I think, I no. think Big East, I think, does, doesn't the uh, Yes Network run Big East basketball? ESPN runs, runs Big East basketball. Oh. I mean... So, yeah, I know that, but I'm saying... Have you heard like, of Big oh, Monday? Yeah. Like, I mean... <laughs> I don't know if that's still a thing. Actually, that was like a thing like when we when we were growing up in the '90s. But you know, I, I, I think it still stands. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how they. I don't really follow basketball as heavily, so I don't really know the the TV stuff. But I I want to say I want to say one of those uh, two major New York based uh, sports networks. I think one of them carries 
heavy Big East basketball. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they do because you've got because you've got St. John's. Uh, uh, I, I want to say it's the Yes Network, but it would uh, not surprise would not surprise you if they had contracts with both at this point. I mean, everyone has their own, you know, ha- has contracts with multiple networks at this point. I mean, you get you get you get, you get Big Ten basketball on freaking like every every channel that runs sports. Well, the Big Ten is a mammoth. They yeah, but still, like the, the the Big East ba- Big East basketball still matters. I mean, Villanova um, is one of the premier basketball programs in the country. Um, so I, I don't see. I, I would like to see. I would like to see UConn football drop down because it doesn't. Because UConn football straight up just does not move the needle for anyone, you know. And as an independent, uh, I'm I'm sorry, but. Who wants to travel to stores in mid-November to play a football game? A non-conference game. Drop too. Yeah, you know, UMass made the leap because they were successful at FCS, but they've done nothing in FBS. Like, you know, be honest. Got to drop down. Yeah, it, I mean, what a. I, I, they're hurting the school at this point. I cannot imagine that those those teams are turning a profit for the school. And yes, most um, most sports do not turn a profit. But when you have a big football program like that, it sucks up so many of the resources that I don't see a real reason why they should be, you know, sticking around in FBS uh, without without being part of a conference. I don't know, maybe, or, or maybe, maybe we need to, maybe we just need to realign college football altogether. We've done that before on the show. Uh, we, we completely realigned at least the FBS teams. Maybe we need to redo it again, guys, and go through not just FBS, but FCS as well, combine it all into two giant, into a one giant league. <laughs> uh, that might be overkill, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't mind seeing North Dakota State and, and Wisconsin in the same league. But you see what you see what Idaho did when the Sun Belt uh, said adios to them. They didn't hover around. They realized, hey, look, like we're not a big enough school to make this work. Our travel budget is not going to be good enough to be an independent and have probably six road games. And yeah, sure, they get a paycheck to say go down and play Texas and get spanked on the Longhorn network. But like, is that really the best and most feasible way to generate money to embarrass athletes and be terrible or go back to FCS where they were really successful, get a rivalry going with Eastern Washington and, you know, just become a regional power again. There's no shame in that. Um, you know, going to a Montana football game is amazing for those fans and those students because they're at the right competitive level. Connecticut is not at the right competitive level. There's not enough local talent generated in New England once Syracuse, which is on the rise, and once BC, which is, as much as we like to make fun of them, a consistent bowl team over the last 15 years. Once those two teams pick the cream of the crop in the New England area, who's left? Yeah, and it's not like the cream of the crop there is all that great anyway. 
I mean, you know, as, what, as what's name, left is going to Pennsylvania. Yeah, you know, the the top kids from Connecticut every year always end up at Penn State or Notre Dame or, you know, uh, or, or schools like that. So there's no there's no reason for them to stick around in FBS, especially as an independent. I think it is idiotic, quite frankly, for them to it, – it's a, it's a complete pipe dream for them to think that they can have a financially stable and successful program as an FBS independent because they're not going to get the games. You're just, you're not going to get the games and, you know, there's, you know, and you're going to have to either play patsy to these big schools, like Josh mentioned, Idaho going down and being whooped up on by Texas. They're going to have to do the same thing and go get beat up on by your Alabamas and Clemsons of the world, or they're going to be, or they're going to have like weird games with ball state when, you know, they have a off week from the Mac. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I mean, like, and with, with they, they have no their, – their natural geographic rival is UMass. And yeah. That's it. And there, there's no – there's no real feasibility anymore to be an independent. And even Notre Dame's recognized that with their pseudo-partnership with the ACC of having some guaranteed games with a conference that's somewhat geographically – Feasible, obviously the Big Ten would have been more, but that ship sailed um, about 15, 20 years ago with a lot of boneheadedness from both sides. But um, there's too many burned bridges there. But the ACC is the next closest probably uh, geographically. And they've got that partnership. BYU, I don't think they're going to be an independent for much longer. I fully expect them to find a way to mend those fences and get back with the Mountain West. Unless the Big 12 needs to add another team at some point, but it it seems unlikely. There's real no feasibility since the first big conference realignment, which was way, way, way back when the Big East added football. And we saw programs like Miami, Virginia Tech, Louisville, uh, Pittsburgh, these programs that have been independent since like, the 40s, 50s, and 60s um, join a conference. And since then, really, Notre Dame's the one outlier, and even them, like I mentioned, is moving away from being a full-blooded independent. I wish that when the Big East became a football conference that they had managed to get Penn State and Notre Dame because then we wouldn't have Penn State in the Big Ten. Good riddance. And then Notre Dame, Notre Dame would be would have a conference, and Big East football would still be around and still be feasible. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know the ins and outs of it, but um, Pittsburgh and Penn State despise each other. They they, they 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 despise each other. Yeah, and um, I can't remember the exact year when the Big East announced football and you know added football. But Penn State's been in the Big Ten since the early '90s. I think yeah, 90 like '92. Yeah, '92. Um, I'm fine with it. I'm used to it. They've been a good addition in the other sports as well. Outside of men's basketball, they've you know acclimated well. They're competitive in all the sports. Um, it's not like I'm trying to think of a good comparison. It's not like uh, say. Rutgers, which <laughs> which isn't good in any sport, or um, 
Yeah, or uh, I think a decent comparison. Yeah, Miles. well, yeah, Big, Big East football began in, yeah. began in 91. Yeah. Like right at the same time that Penn, that Penn State yeah. joined the Big Ten. Well, that's I mean. probably then why Penn State joined the Big Ten. But, yeah, I think another comparison would be like um, when the ACC added Virginia Tech, they got a football team. They get much else. Like no. Virginia Tech boosting the basketball, so like Penn For a State. A couple years yeah. they, they've been serving. Yeah, well, it, but but it, it yeah. took them twenty five years to get uh you know even some semblance of a basketball. Yeah, team. but like Penn State ha- has done well in hockey, wrestling, football, women's basketball. Uh, every now and then they're a little frisky in basketball. Penn State's been a great marriage. I, I know Matt, you're such a purist, but uh, I'm. You know, I'm fine with Penn State. It's Nebraska, Rutgers, Maryland. That's yeah. I'll never really get used to them as much as I try and be kind to them in my blog. Well, there's no point in being kind to Nebraska. Oh no, there, 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 there's no point. That's they, that that school jumped the shark ages ago. <laughs> uh, I think West Virginia. I think West Virginia in the Big Twelve is odd too. Oh, it's still yeah. weird. It's still really weird. But West Virginia is a tough school in terms of geographically they're closest to the big 10 or the ACC about equidistance from mm-hmm. them. But like culturally million miles away. I mean, can you imagine like a, and academically uh, as well? Like, yeah. I mean, well, that's what I mean. Like, can you imagine uh, a public Ivy like Michigan playing a football game with like people burning their couches and it's not East Lansing. <laughs> I mean, I, I can, but I don't, I, I wouldn't want to No, you know, I, you know, I, I, this is why, this is one of the reasons I still despise the marriage of Nebraska with the big 10 because Nebraska as a school is so much worse than the other, even the other 13 schools, Maryland and Rutgers are far superior academic schools to Nebraska. Yeah. And so I, I still feel like I, I still feel like Nebraska's is uh, is a is a Big Ten traitor. It's a Big Ten violator. Yeah, and uh, you know it's interesting when when we make the trip to Iowa State for games, um, you just feel this like cultural difference between the Big Ten and the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Big Ten is generally in larger cities we have minneapolis we have columbus we have madison those are all legitimately big cities ann arbor is a stone's throw away from detroit um iowa city isn't large but it's very cosmopolitan same with bloomington yeah uh, same with bloomington um really out in you know evanston suburb of chicago maryland now in dc um really with the exception of state college Mm-hmm. And Lafayette and Champagne, yeah, and Champagne. We have about three exceptions, I would say. Um, we're in fairly urban areas and very cosmopolitan. And the Big Twelve, um, outside of Texas, which is in Austin, those are really little towns. I mean, Nor- Norman, it's Norman, to, Norman, it's Norman suburb of Oklahoma City. It's yeah. supposed to be the offset of the Southwestern Conference. Yeah. 
the old Southwestern Conference where they had like Arkansas and it's a little swag. Yeah. yeah, and you know Lincoln is just. I'm sorry, it's 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 small time. It's I don't care if the population is larger than Iowa City or Bloomington or State College. I'm talking about like culturally. Iowa City and Bloomington have like world-renowned performance centers and get like all the large tours. Those tours of like shows and concerts and stuff, they're going to go to Omaha. They're not going to go to Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And it's just a different experience. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you feel a difference. It would be like if the SEC added like Middle Tennessee State, you'd be like like Murfreesboro versus – Knoxville or Nashville, like, huh? How does that fit? Like, well, mo- most of, to be fair, a lot of the SEC uh, places are small college towns, but they're all very similar in culture, and they're like small, quaint Southern uh, towns. Or like, yeah, you know, I, 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 when I think of an, of an SEC town, I think of Oxford, Mississippi. Yeah. Like, I, like Nashville in this case is the outlier. Yeah, um, like Athens, Georgia, Oxford, Auburn, mm-hmm. uh, Tuscaloosa, even. Um, you know they're all like quaint suburbs of major cities, but uh, in in the South. So um, and and even like you know the the, the outliers obviously are Nashville, Columbia, South Carolina, um, Columbia, Missouri, Lexington, uh, Lexington. You know th- those are considered your big cities, um, but even in those big cities, there are quaint Southern college towns. So at least it makes sense with the culture. You know, all the Big Ten schools, they make sense with the culture. Um, anytime you add new people in there, I mean, Texas A&M is a, makes sense culturally. Uh, geographically, maybe, maybe not, but uh, culturally they make sense. Um, Missouri, I guess, I've never been to Missouri. I've never been to Columbia, Missouri, but, you know, culturally they probably don't fit in as well as Texas A&M. They probably fit in more with the Big 12 than anything cultural-wise. Cultural but, um Maryland doesn't make any sense to the Big Ten. Obviously, Rutgers is Rutgers is FCS. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, the Nebraska never made never made sense to me. I don't like Colorado in the Pac-12. No, um, that one's so dumb. Um, I really, you know, I, I know it's good for Georgia Southern financially, and they're actually successful, but I really don't like them in FBS. Um. I think it gets to, you know, something that I harp on and I get on my soapbox seemingly every other show and it makes sense that I'd get on it now, but you just compare basketball versus football. Basketball has a tournament where every conference champion gets to go. Everyone has the fair shot. Even us 16 seed, we saw it last year. Well, now two years ago. Um, knocked off a one seed they advanced and we've seen other teams make runs the lowest seed to ever win a national title was an eight seed villanova in the 1980s everyone has a shot so there's no need to like oh we gotta gotta be in the best conference we gotta be in the biggest conference we gotta make the most money uh otherwise you know we won't win enough prestigious games to make the tournament well if you expand the tournament 
let every conference champion in and have a few at-larges, you might get a team like Colorado that looks at itself and goes, what the hell are we doing in the big, in the Pac-12? Like, we have long-ass trips to every school. We sacrificed our biggest rivalry, Nebraska, and our second biggest rival, Oklahoma, to play Oregon State and Arizona. And they're like, what are we doing? You would have had a team like Utah, which would have gone, huh, we're killing in the Mountain West. Every year we win the Mountain West. We have an auto bid into we the have tournament. A, yeah, we have an auto bid. And all we have to do is make sure we get past Boise State. So we basically have a one-game season versus now they're in the Pac-12 and trying to out-recruit USC, Stanford, and yeah. Oregon. Like, yeah. It doesn't make sense. I mean, you could say the same thing for a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, for a lot of these schools that have either gone to the wrong conference or jumped to, you know, or, or tried to jump to FBS and things like that. It's just, it doesn't make logical sense. And it, a lot of it does, Josh, I agree, stem from this current iteration of the playoff. And the idea that you have to go to, you know, that these, only these four teams can make the playoff. Until we have, at minimum, an 18 playoff, but ideally a 16-team playoff, um, we, we cannot get into a conference alignment that will be suitable and appropriate for all parties involved. No. And then we have um, this other system where we're supposed to have the NCAA be the overall governing body of the sport. Yet, That's a joke. Yet the individual conferences make the television deals. And so the Big Ten, when they did it, went, hey, let's do strength in numbers. Let's split the pot equally. Mm-hmm. And the Big 12 goes, hey, let's split the pot with the bigger you are, the more you get. So naturally, you're going to piss off a program like Nebraska that goes, huh, if we just switch conferences, we're going to get a – and they joined, it would have been a 12th of the television revenue versus getting some scraps. Yeah, because taxes eats up all the revenue in the Big 12. If the NCAA had said, hey, like, this TV stuff, this is getting out of hand. You guys need to split it per team. You need to be a conference where you are all equally working together, not – a loose confederation of random schools thrown together because of geography, you need to act as one. It would have helped all the teams that have had the weird dances. We, it would have just made more sense. In fact, I bet all of the conferences, everyone working together, especially the power five conferences with the NCAA presenting that and going to NBC and saying, or like ABC or ESPN and saying, Hey, you want the Ohio State game? Well, you got to like, take the Rutgers game too. Yeah, yeah. Like you got to present all of it. Like the NCAA was letting it be just straight up wild, wild west chaos, and the product is great for about ten to twenty schools, and it's an absolute wasteland for about 120 schools. Because even a successful program like Central Florida has to hustle to, like, 
get anybody to recognize them. They have to go 13 and 0. No one cares. They got probably more hits when Mackenzie Milton destroyed his leg and got some sympathy than when they were slaying schools in major bowls. Yeah, absolutely. Well, gents, I think that is a good place to end it for this evening. Um, there is obviously a lot of other things that we will get to um, in the coming days and weeks. But I want to thank you guys for uh, getting back together, getting the old gang back together tonight. And we will be sending this out here. Um, uh, so when you hear this, uh, don't forget to shoot us an email. Um, so, Josh, any last words before we sign off? Yeah, we buried the lead. This one's Seriously? Pretty, yeah, Seriously. This one's we pretty, always do that. Yeah, this one's pretty embarrassing. But literally, literally earlier today, Arkansas announces that two assistant coaches got pay raises. So um, Barry Lunny Jr. did a seventh season. He's the longest tenured assistant with Arkansas. He's making 15000 more this year. Um, he added the special teams coordinator to his title this offseason. So when I'm breaking down tape of the Razorbacks, I'm going to be looking to see if Lunny Jr. is getting that punting and kicking game going. And then second-year receivers coach Justin Stepp, he will be paid – even more than the special teams coordinator. He got a 50,000 boost over the season. So uh, that kicking, that punting, and those receivers, if they're not making all SEC teams, I don't know where this money's going, you guys. Middle Tennessee's own trade Knox will be uh, heading up that receiving course. So we'll see if Step earns his pay raise. Well, let's hope so. So, hey, we we did not we failed to also mention um, the uh, the fact that Kansas I think has taken uh, taken it personally that we've been making fun of them, so they went and hired some guy named Les Miles to run their program. Yeah, and they're doing okay. And huh? they're doing okay. Who? Yeah, that guy. They uh, I think they're bringing back the track too. Well, in many ways, the track never went away. It's always been there providing uh, high-quality entertainment at a, uh, at a low price. That's right. All right, gentlemen. So that is going to do it. So on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois, this is the professor in Nashville saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.